joined by uh, Liz Kupch, inaugural director of First Nations at Area Flexi Schools. Welcome to NITV Radio, Liz. Thanks for having me on. You're coming into this role with an outstanding track record of uh, leadership roles in education and uh, government organizations and non-government organizations. Your achievements are so impressive, I can't go through them, but can you tell us about yourself in a few words just to give uh, a sense of who you're talking to uh, to our listeners? Cool. Yeah, so, well, first and foremost, I'm, I'm one Uganga leader on my father's side and I'm Wanka Mudla on my mum's side. So that's my First Nations heritage. I am a humble First Nations, but absolutely proud of my people and what they have brought to the, not just Australia, but to the world. A gift to have thrived for 65,000 plus years um, from a strength-based Indigenous knowledge is an untapped, untapped strength that um, we really, really need to be paying attention to. So I have a deep and personal experience of what being um, Aboriginal means, you know, as a First Nations woman who has, you know, come from the country. I'm a country girl. I am all about authenticity. I'm about honesty. I'm about truth-telling. I'm resilient. I'm tough. I've got, uh, I'm one of seven children, Um, six brothers. I'm the only girl, so I'm pretty tough, bred tough. (laughs) I'm... um, Social justice aligned, probably uh, on, in my autopsy, they'll uh, you know do an autopsy and they'll find that I've got a stainless steel core spine which says social justice on it. I'm not frightened to do the work. I'm you know I love to have conversations that um, can challenge people's thinking, um, the status quo or what has been accepted, um, but do that in a in a in a safe way which all comes around about by, you know, education. I want to educate people and have those challenging conversations to get to the part where we all have better knowledge around who we are as a nation. That's probably a couple of words about who I am and uh, what I come from and, you know, my path forward. Now, upon your appointment, you said that uh, your number one priority is teaching our educators how to embed First Nations cultures and knowledges uh, into their curriculums. Can you elaborate on this why it's a priority? Right, so it's an absolute priority that we need to have an informed, um, you know, nation. Uh, If we look back at, you know, my personal feeling about the referendum is um, that the results were because, you know, it's highlighting highlighting that we need to have uh, all, of, all of our Australians do an education to build their knowledge and understanding of who First Nations people are. The result to me just shows that we've got a lot of work to do as educators. So we have the curriculum, which is kind of an output of education, right? But we need to go further back than that. Um, if you look at the us as teachers in the classroom, we are a product of a system that did not educate us about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures throughout their formal education. It's a question that would, I do a lot of professional development. And um, it's a question that I would constantly ask, um, you know, and give, ask people, you know, think of the percentage of um, when you, all, across all of your formal education from, you know, preschool all the way up through to university. And I want you to really reflect on how much of that time um, was spent on First Nations histories and cultures being educated in that. And, um, you know, people, you know, I'd kind of do a backwards auction and I'd say, put your hand up when I get to your number. Start at 100 and go backwards. And usually, um, you know, I'd get down around about 15 and people would start putting their hands up, 15% of their total education. 
So usually about um, the average was about 5%, you know, over all the times I've done that with the professional development. And so what it's showing us is that, you know, teachers have to, t- if you're teaching the curriculum, you have to have built up your knowledge and understanding of what you're teaching. If you're coming from a system where you did not learn it in all your formal education, then, then what do you do? <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we learned how to do maths, we learned how to do English, science. We, we learned all that stuff because we had a formal education. But there was no formal education about um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait histories and cultures. There's a stuff that's being embedded now, but it's, it's, you know, very, very limited. So how do we expect our educators to do it? My experience with educators are they want to do it. They have all the good intentions to do it, but they don't know how to do it. So we have to come together and have ongoing deep conversations that really challenge the status quo, that challenge, and this goes to people's unconscious bias as well. There's a lot of different perspectives and you need to be able to critically self-reflect. So what do you know about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples? Is that first, is that your um, personal experience? Is it something you read or it's some, is it something that you've heard down the line? What's your personal experience? Do you have you know conversations with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people all the time in your community? Like, how are you building up your knowledge and education? So if you're not, pretty much, if you're not married into the mob and you, you don't have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in your social circles, how are you getting this, not, how are you building your knowledge and understanding? Because the expectation is, is that, you know, we want to teach it. And absolutely we want to teach it because we don't want to repeat what happened in the referendum or if Black Lives Matter or things like that that come up, we don't have people in our community saying, oh, that's got nothing to do with First Nations people when it, when it does. It um, unfortunately shows that we need, we need much more work in this space. And if our teachers are doing it, our teachers need to be, we need to go back and, you know, start educating or start having those deeper conversations with our educators so then, then they can start to filter that through our education system. So, yeah, we need to go back to come forward. Yeah, and I thought you've defined uh, the priority and uh, really, really stressed how important it is to actually bring Indigenous cultures in the classrooms, in the curriculum. How will you tackle this uh priority because it's also a challenge it's not an easy thing no no <laughs> it, it is a challenge for me um the very the very first thing we have to do is we need to get to the critical self-reflection part with um each each and every one of us so, so we look at uh, first nations people are only three i think we're 3.3 percent of the population right now so we can't transform um education for our first nations students um so they can get better life outcomes by ourselves three percent is an impossible task so we need our non-indigenous brothers and sisters the 97 percent of australia to to come and walk along with us now the great thing about the referendum that shows me that 40 percent of our population that's 40 percent which is much better you know, bigger than 3% First Nations representation. So what we need to do is ask people to critically reflect on, um, well, what what do you know? What do you know about First Nations people? What Why do you think that? Let's get um, to the bottom of what your education has told you. So that what do you, you know, if we, if we start with one part of it's actually building knowledge, for example, and I'm actually some want to stipulate that we wouldn't be talking about secret and sacred business, you know, um, that's to be taught by First Nations people. We're not asking educators to teach any <laughs> secret and sacred knowledge. That's not the ask at all. 
but there's a whole lot of information, knowledge and understanding that can be taught um, and uh, dealt with on a, on a critical, self-critical basis by every person. For example, well, why don't we talk about the um, 100 years of resilience, the frontier wars, um, or our amazing warriors, uh, or the history of activism. We've got some amazing activists in this country. I was uh, privileged to meet a, um, a man, a Tuckalock man named Victor Stephenson, who uh, it does fire, fire management across the country. He gets invited into communities to teach about fire cool burning and um, the benefits to our environment, like our astronomers, um, our STEM specialists. So we need to be using a positive strength-based approach and really having high expectations and high expectations relationships with our students. So unpacking um, that unconscious bias that might historically sometimes has come across as, oh, if, you know, First Nations kids aren't coming to school, then, um, you know, they don't want a good education. I mean, that's that's a bit of a blank, a bit of a broom statement there. But <clears throat> what we want to do is get to those understandings or misunderstandings about First Nations students yeah. and their, you know, their ability and their intelligence. Look at it in a with a strength-based approach. Look at all the things that they bring instead of looking at deficit, which is historically, you know, we have always looked at the country have, has always kind of framed it in a negative deficit model. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make a really good sense. And uh, just as a side note, because we're doing having this conversation right after the nomination of uh, Australians of the Year, and uh, the senior Australian of the Year happens to be an Indigenous teacher, Yalma Yunupingu. Just uh, a quick reflection on this. Um, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that name has a lot of a lot of very important people, the last name, the surname, Unipingu. Um, yeah. That's an amazing bloodline uh, there and it's like, it makes us really, really proud that growing your growing your um, your educators are there, what, you know, in your communities. We've got some really tall trees in the communities um, who are taking care of their communities, who are educating their communities, who are continuing, continuing to pass on that knowledge and um, I guess it's not really she has been recognised um, in the Western system, but sometimes the Western system doesn't recognise that. For example, teachers. Yeah, you know, like in the remote communities, it's really hard to get teachers to stay in those communities for those kids. So if we've always got, um, you know, again historically, we've got teachers who are not coming from those communities. They go into those communities, and sometimes it's uh, they're in there for a couple of years, you know, two or three years. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes they stay, but. Most of the times they, they go and then you'll get a new, you know, lot of teachers. There's a few programs that um, I've been aware of across my teaching journey yeah. where one of them was RATEP up in Queensland. Up far north Queensland is where you grow, you're growing your own. So you've got your educators there and you kind of partner with universities where um, you, your community stay in their, stay in their community get their education, do their work in their schools and then come away for block release. So it's like a bit more of a different um, model. Yeah. So it's really kind of looking at what, what the strength is. That's looking at strength. That's a strength-based approach right there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. growing your own in that community instead of kind of having people that are coming in and out. And, of course, the community know that these people aren't staying. You know, you get a lot that come in and then you get used to those guys and then they go. So the um, it, that's not a good model. 
Um, and I know that we've got that model kind of is all over the country and, and, and I'm making it sound really simple and I know it's not that simple. I know it is complex, but that's something um, that I feel, you know, a lot of money should be put towards, keeping our people, you know, grow, grow your own from the community. You've worked in this field for many years in the Stronger, Smarter Institute and uh, you're also known as a, a champion for STEM education for Indigenous women. I first kind of came face-to-face with that when I started working for CSIRO, it's an Indigenous STEM project, and um, the element, it was six elements in that project, and we were one of them, and our element was called Inquiry for Indigenous Science Students, which is all about looking at science through an Indigenous lens and looking at it with strength base, and that's how actually I first met that person named Victor Stephenson, yeah. <laughs> the Tuckaluck man. What we're saying is um, we can teach we can teach science um, or STEM subjects through Indigenous knowledges. So one of our, what we did was what with the team, and that was led by Joe Bono. He was my boss at that time, and um, his background um, is in science, so he's an Aboriginal man. He's got that science qualification as well, and it's all, um, part of his passion throughout his life is to, you know, have an Indigenous lens on all, all science. So he was my boss, and we um, developed our team, developed 10 inquiries that had an Indigenous focus that so was for all students. That's the other key thing, too, is that all this knowledge is for all Australians, and that goes back to my um, the thing I was saying uh, at the beginning in, in the second question is, we need to, everybody needs to be educated and through that education, everyone gets an appreciation for First Nations people and the strengths that they bring. So yeah, with that science uh, program, we did 10 inquiries through science, um, which is really looking at the Indigenous knowledges, uh, the experts, we'd bring traditional um, Indigenous knowledge experts and we'd bring um, teachers and the, um, them together and then, you know, we, we would have magic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, is marrying those two together and looking at, wow, this is fantastic. Not only is it Indigenous knowledge, it's that knowledge is um, that's Australian knowledge. It's about this country and this land and um, how First Nations, you know, worked with the land. Before I let you go, any closing thoughts or something we may have missed that you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? Oh, I think that we need, it needs to be shared accountability and shared responsibility. I think for too long it's been this binary, you know, like Aboriginal traditional people and non-Indigenous people. Um, we're all Australians, you know, like this is all of our knowledge. We're, you know, First Nations are the oldest continuous living culture on the planet. It seems crazy that we're not, um, you know, that we're not tapping into that, not just for Australia and our national identity, for the world. I mean, this knowledge that's been here in 65,000 plus years. That's so relevant today when we're looking at our environment and how we live in our environment. There are better ways to do things and why aren't we listening? Why aren't we tapping into that knowledge? It seems it seems crazy. Liz Kupch, congratulations on your appointment and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on ITV Radio today. Thank you very much for having me.